Amen. Lord, you are worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be honored, and to be magnified. Your name is above all names. Lord, we pray as we go to, our, to the time in the Word right now, the Lord, that you would be our teacher by the power of your Holy Spirit. Just soften every single heart that's here. Lord, be again with those who are ministering to our kids right now. May the kids have ears to hear as well. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Acts 19. We continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. If you're new here today, just want to say welcome. We're really, really glad that you're here. And we hope you do feel welcome here. Here at Calvary Chapel, we just teach right through the Bible. And on Sunday mornings, we go verse-by-verse right through the New Testament. And we'll be looking at Acts 19 this morning. I want to encourage you to pray about coming out on Wednesday nights. We go through the Old Testament. We'll be in Numbers chapter 9 next week. And so I want to encourage you to be praying about getting involved with that as well. If you're here and you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you one. And if you need it, you can take it home if you need to uh, as our gift to you. Um, And those of you who do have your Bibles, look at Acts 19. Now as we're looking at the book of Acts, we're going to catch you up as I do every week. I want to give the context of the message this morning. The book of Acts is titled the Acts of the Apostles, but it could also be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Early Church. And as we're going to see this morning, what happened was that Jesus went away into heaven, and when He did, He left a helper. He left the third person of the Trinity who brings power into the life of the believer. And as you go through the book of Acts, there's one thing you see repeatedly throughout it. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms lives. In Acts chapter 1, He said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus told them, You will receive power. The word for power there is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamic. And if we want to have a life that's set apart to God, that's dynamic in service for Him, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit being upon us. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They began to speak in other tongues. They were known languages, and it was a way to spread the gospel. And we saw that 3,000 souls were added to the church in a single day. And Peter, who had been Mr. You know, denying the Savior and sleeping when he should have been praying, became a mighty man of God. What transformed him? The Holy Spirit coming upon him. As we continued on through Acts, we saw that they were filled with the Spirit. They healed the lame. They called men to repentance. They had boldness where before they were afraid. People saw their boldness and they said they were blown away. They said these guys are untrained men, but they marveled because they realized because they were filled with the Holy Spirit that they had been with Jesus. You know, today the church, much of it is sleepwalking. Much of the church is just asleep and, you know, we're not having much of an impact on the world around us, but the Great Commission is to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. God desires that we have an impact on the world around us and the first century church certainly did. They, were per- they, they persevered in the midst of persecution because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Though beaten, though threatened, they rejoiced at counting it a, a blessing to suffer for the cause of Christ. They didn't cease teaching, they didn't slow down. Stephen pre- preached with boldness and he was stoned to death. But we know that in the end he looked up and he saw the Father, or Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He got a standing ovation from the Lord. Again, Church was being persecuted by a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, but because of the filling of the Holy Spirit, they went out and they continued to preach the gospel. In Acts chapter 10, we saw the Holy Spirit fall upon the the Gentiles. They too spoke in tongues, and people around them were saved. Gentile Pentecost, as we've called it. We then see the transformation in the life of Saul. He went from being a man who persecuted the church to being a man who wrote most of the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and one of the most mighty men of God. What happened to him? 
he met Jesus Christ, and then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says without him we can do what? Nothing. And nothing means nothing. And we need the Holy Spirit so desperately. Then the Holy Spirit directed him and said, separate from me Paul and Barnabas. The Holy Spirit is the one directing. The Holy Spirit is the one leading. The Holy Spirit is God. It's not just an essence or a being or something that people chant up. The Holy Spirit is God. And He dwells within the heart of every single believer. But it's when He's upon us that He does the great and awesome things. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul rebuked a sorcerer. He preached boldly in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He healed a crippled man. When people attempted to worship Him, He said, Don't you dare! Because He was filled with the Spirit and He knew, Touch not the glory. Grease my heart today to see people, you know, whether it's a Christian music group or a, a someone who's teaching and they accept people's praise. To God alone be all the praise and the glory and the honor. Amen? We're to touch not His glory. It all belongs to Him. We don't praise the instrument. We praise the one whose hand it's in. Filled with the Spirit, they endured abuse. There was even division, but by God's grace, He continued to bless them. Paul, empowered by the Spirit, just kept preaching the Bible. When he faced resistance, when he faced rejection, he just kept on. And then last week, we talked about the key ingredients to persevering in your walk with God. We talked about how some Christians, isn't it amazing, you meet some Christians who have been walking with God for 50 years. You look at examples of different people, like maybe a Billy Graham or somebody, and you say, look how they walk with God and they've been faithful for so long. Not that they're not sinful men in need of a Savior just like we are, but they've been faithful for a long time. And then you look at other Christians and you see their walk, it's like a roller coaster ride. One minute they're on fire for God, three days later they're not so sure He exists, right? And they're, they're just on this roller coaster ride with God. And last week we talked about five keys to finishing strong and not burning out spiritually. One was fellowship with other believers. Another one was being encouraged by the Word, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by. It's God's Word that brings faith into our lives. Putting God first and being teachable, receiving instruction like Apollo said we saw last week, did from those more mature in the faith. But one of the things we talked about, and we're going to talk about that more right now, is they were led by, or compelled by, or filled with, directed by the Holy Spirit. So the title of this morning's message is, Man's Relationship to the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see as we go through the text this morning, the diversity in the relationships that different people had to the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this before. The Holy Spirit has a relationship with all of mankind. He's either with them, they call in their conscience before they're saved, when you're born again, He comes to live in you, and we're going to talk about that this morning. But then there's also something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or Him being upon you. Alright? Now some people this morning might say, well, that's, isn't that a Pentecostal term, baptism of the Holy Spirit? Then we're going to find that out this morning. Again, there's balance. Alright? We worship God the Father, we're saved through the Son, and we're empowered by the Spirit. Amen? That is the triune Godhead working in the life of every single believer. So here's what we're going to see this morning in relationships to the Spirit. We're going to see those who are in need of the Spirit, who have an incomplete salvation. We'll then see those who are empowered by the Spirit and how they respond. We'll see those who are imitators of the Spirit. Then we'll see those believers and how they respond to the Spirit. And finally, rejection of the Spirit. So let's begin in verse 1 of Acts 19. And we're going to look at those who are in need of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was in Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, finding some disciples. Now Paul has begun his third missionary journey. And he leaves Corinth. What kind of city was Corinth? Those of you here last week, what kind of city was it? 
very wicked. You remember that? Heavily into just godlessness, perversion, out of control. Well, guess what? He leaves one godless city and he goes to another one. Because Ephesus was an extremely wealthy city. It was a great commercial center in Asia. It was a really large city, but guess what? It was heavy duty into idol worship. They worshiped more than 50 gods. It's less than Athens where they had 3,000, right? But still too many. Two is too many, amen? And they had 50 gods, and in the center of their town, they had a huge temple to the goddess Diana. Now, it was known as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And this goddess Diana was the goddess, as we'll talk about in a minute, of fertility. And and they worshipped this goddess, and they had little shrines to her in every one of their houses. And as he goes into this godless city, he finds some disciples. Now, the word disciple means learner. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, as Paul is, he begins to talk to these disciples of the true and living God, and he realizes something's missing. These guys say they're disciples, but... I'm talking to them and there's something's not quite right. You know, I, I listen to the way they speak. I'm watching how they live and there's something missing. You ever met anybody like that? They tell you they're a Christian and you, and you watch them for a minute and you're like, I, I'm not so sure. Right? You ever met anybody like that? Maybe sometimes we act in a way that people might say that about us. Amen? Oh, I'm not so sure. I saw the way you were talking to your wife. I saw the way you were responding to your boss. And the reality is that he, he looked at him and discerning in the Holy Spirit, he realized that something was missing in these guys' lives. Verse 2. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now this is the key question, you guys. And this is the question for us today. Romans 8, 9 says, Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. If you do not have the Spirit of the living God living inside of you, you are not born again, you are not a Christian, and you're not going to heaven. Oh, Pastor Dave, slow down. Why you got to be so... Hey, God's Word very clearly says the Holy Spirit is not an essence up in the sky somewhere. It's not the aura that surrounds you. It's not something that you chant to. Although Santa Cruz kind of thinks it is, right? But the reality is that the Holy Spirit is a person who lives in the heart of every single believer. It also says in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness of our, with our spirit that we are children of God. How do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that you know that you know that you're a Christian? You know because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and He bears witness with your spirit that yes, indeed, you've been born again. It says in Ephesians 1, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance. What's the guarantee of heaven? What's our down payment on heaven? The Holy Spirit living inside of us. The word there in in Ephesians 1 is we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's like ownership papers. It's a stamp mark. It's a down payment on heaven. And so people say, well, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is. So he says to these guys, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believed? That's the question. And I want to ask you this morning, be thinking about what kind of relationship do you have with the Holy Spirit? And look what they said, verse 2. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. What is it? I've never even heard of a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? Now what does that tell us about these guys? They're not saved. They call themselves disciples. They call themselves learners of God. But if they have not understood 
the full gospel of repentance and accepting Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us, these guys are not born again. And they need to be born again. So, just as Apollos in the last chapter was teaching an incomplete gospel, these guys have an incomplete salvation. And that's no salvation at all. You can't be kind of saved. It's like being kind of pregnant. I mean, either are or you aren't, right? Either you're born again or you're not. Either you've given your life to Jesus Christ or you haven't. And so these guys had no Holy Spirit, and though they called themselves disciples, they were spiritually dead. And sadly, that's the case of a lot of the church today. There's people walking around, and they call themselves Christians, but you, you dig a little deeper. Well, why are you a Christian? Well, because I was born in America. This is a Christian nation, right? Well, I'm a Christian because my mom drugged me down when I was six weeks old, and they sprinkled water on my forehead. I must be a Christian, Right? They think, I, I go to church on Sunday, and, you know, and even some things that are good, but here's the reality. Christianity is not joining an organization or being born into a certain family. It's becoming new creations in Christ, realizing we are sinners in need of a Savior, and confessing our sin, and being born again. That's how you become a Christian, amen? No other way. And so these guys were calling themselves disciples, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in their life. A few years back, 87% of Americans claimed to be Christians. How many think that's an accurate number? No way. Now, my heart is that it would be an accurate number, amen? That we would reach out to people and share with them the love of God. But the reality is, it's not what we call ourselves, but it's what kind of relationship do we truly have with God. And again, there's people that know about God, they may even go to church, and they may even know about the Word. But you know what's missing? You, you meet them and there's, there's something missing. You know, there's a word. The word enthusiasm comes from the Greek entheos. And that means filled with God. And you know what? When we're filled with God, there ought to be some enthusiasm about Him. Amen? Sometimes I think we're just, again, we just kind of sleepwalk through our, our, our relationship with the Lord. And it's, you shall receive power. The word is dunamis. Now, I'm not saying out of control, swinging from the chandeliers kind of, I mean that we have such a love for Him that we're not ashamed of Him. Amen? We love Him supernaturally. Lord, You're awesome. You're a great God. We don't walk around undercover Christians at work. Well, no one knows I'm saved. Another day, I made it, right? Nobody knows. The Lord desires that we be glowing in the dark for Him. Amen? Did He save us? Are we born again? Do we have the promise of heaven? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Is that something to be excited about? Amen? That was weak. Amen? Okay. I mean, I'm a little fired up, I know. God bless me, right? Here's the thing, guys. When you look at the Holy Spirit, my prayer this, all week as I was studying this is, Lord, may we as a church understand that same power that was in the first century church. May it be in all of us. Amen? It's available to us today. We can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And having that passion for God and that joy... Worship shouldn't be a drudgery, it should be a treat. Witnessing should be something that we are. We don't go witnessing, we are witnesses. Because we're so in love with the Lord, we can't help but reflect Him to the world around us. These guys didn't have the Holy Spirit. Paul looked at him and said, something's missing. You guys heard about the Holy Spirit? What? What's that? Never heard of it. Well, praise the Lord, though, that God had brought Paul to them. Look at verse 3. And he said to them, then into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Now, this is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was his best man, if you will. He came before him. 
He's the one that when he saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But prior to Jesus, John the ba- coming on the scene in his public ministry beginning, John the Baptist baptized many people. But he baptized them, and they were looking forward to a Messiah that would one day come. He said, there's going to be a Messiah coming. John the Baptist was really the last of the Old Testament prophets, because he was pointing to the coming Messiah. And those who were baptized into John's baptism, if they had gone away and didn't hear the end of the story, they didn't know that Jesus had come. They didn't know that he had been crucified. They didn't know he had risen from the dead. They didn't know about Pentecost. And that's where these guys are at. They're, oh, there's a Messiah coming someday, but they have not given their lives to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly where the Jewish church is today. Not the church, but, the Ju- but Judaism, as they're waiting for the coming Messiah. And so John had baptized them, but they still didn't fully understand Because John's baptism, look at verse 4. And Paul said, John indeed baptized you with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So he said, yeah, the baptism you have was to repentance, but what Jesus baptizes us into is regeneration, becoming new creations in Christ. Our faith is only as valuable as the thing we put our faith in. And waiting for the Messiah when He's already come means we've missed it. And these guys, I believe, were sincere and hungry, but they weren't saved yet because they had not heard about Jesus. They knew a Messiah was coming, but they didn't know about the crucifixion. They didn't know about His resurrection. They didn't know about Pentecost. And so Paul comes and shares with them the complete story. He fills in the blanks for them. And they're going to be men who are in need of the Spirit. And look what happens, verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is water baptism. In declaration of the Messiah. They've been baptized before, but the first time they were baptized pointing to a coming Messiah, now they've been baptized in water baptism pointing to Jesus Christ. So they're saved. They've been born again. They've given their lives to Jesus Christ. So that's the end of it, right? No, it's not. Look at verse 6. I want you to see this, you guys. With, now he's in. Holy Spirit's in him now. Guess what? It's not done yet. Look at verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came what? What's the word there? Upon them. He went from being with them to in them to upon them. When I was a youth pastor, I used to use for an illustration about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what I would do is I would take a glass of water and I would stick a pitcher next to it. And I would say, now this pitcher of water is with this glass, but it's still empty. And then I would take it, and I would pour water in and fill it up about three quarters of the way. I'd say, now it's in the, in the glass. And then I would take the pitcher, and I would just pour water on it and let the whole pitcher pour out all over the floor and make a huge mess and drip down on the third grade class down below us. But I would pour the water, and water just splashing all over the place and just pouring everywhere. And I'd say, that's the Holy Spirit upon you. Because out of you will for flow torrents of rushing living water that will touch everyone around you. It's more than just with you or in you, but upon you. And he says the Holy Spirit came upon them, and it's a different word in the language. A P means to be upon. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Again, these guys in the past didn't fully get it. They were pursuing religion, and now they've heard the truth, they've been born again, and now the Holy Spirit has come upon them. They began to speak in tongues just like in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon the Jews, then in Acts chapter 10 when the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles, and now here we see them speaking with other tongues. Now, again, the word for tongues there is dialectos, which is known languages, all right? 
I want to just, I'm not going to take too much time with this. I want to make it clear, though, a lot of people will tell you that unless you speak in tongues, you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's not true. Because if you look at all of Scripture, it says that tongues, while it's a gift for today, is the least of the gifts. The Bible also says that tongues, when done, are done in order. Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion, amen? You're not going to have 57 people get up and start speaking in tongues all at the same time. That's not scriptural. That's emotion. That's not God, okay? And so it's, I just want to share that with you so you understand that, that that gift is still for today. It's in two ways. It can be used as a prophetic gift in, a, in an assembly where it uh, makes sense. One person will get up and prophesy, and somebody will get up and speak in tongues, and someone will get up and translate it. It's also a prayer language. That's for an individual at home between them and God. So here, though, we see that it was just a manifestation that these guys really got it now. They said, what is the Holy Spirit? We don't even, never even heard of it. To now these guys are filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. The transformation is incredible. Verse 7. Now, the men were about 12 in all. Now, I love this because these 12 men had heard an incomplete gospel, and now... They've been given the Lord. The Holy Spirit has come upon them. How many tribes of Israel are there? Twelve. The Jews. What do they have right now? The people that follow Judaism. Not Jewish people by heritage, but Judaism. They have an incomplete gospel. Amen? They're still waiting for the Messiah. They missed Him. He's already been here. They missed Him. And just like these twelve men, I believe it points to the twelve tribes that... Okay, we're pursuing, but we've missed out on the fact that the Messiah has come. They've missed it completely. So we go from these guys who were in need of the Spirit, and they've been given the truth, and now they're filled with the Spirit, to looking at those who are empowered by the Spirit. Look at verse 8. And this is speaking of Paul. And he went into the synagogues and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. You know what? Paul, every time he went into a city, where did he go first? Went right into the synagogue. The Bible says he preached the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And he went right into the synagogue. He found those he had something in common with. They believed in the Old Testament. And he said, guys, you know the Messiah you've been waiting for? He's come. And it's Jesus. And he's risen from the dead. And he loves you guys. And you need to give your life to him. This is about the longest time I can, I've seen where he stays in a synagogue. Three months. Usually it's three, three weeks or one week and they throw him out. But he goes in there for three months and he preaches. Now remember, how has he been received in the synagogue so far? How's it been working out? Not too good. Half the time he gets beaten with rods, he gets thrown in prison. They take him outside the city gate and they stone him with rocks. But I love that Paul just keeps going to the synagogue. Man, I love this guy, right? How do you stop a guy that when you stone him to death and he's laying on the ground dead and he raises, God raises him from the dead and he gets back up and goes right back into the city? How do you stop that guy? You don't. Filled with the Spirit, he says, hey, that's all right. God's in control. Eternity on my eyes. I'm going right back in there. And so he goes into the synagogue and he, and he shares with them for three months and he speaks with boldness. Again, empowered by the Spirit. Even though he's been beaten, it doesn't slow him down. Verse 9. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now this is interesting. When they spoke against the what? The what? The way. Where did that come from? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they began to call Christians the way after Jesus. I like that. I, they're so tightly 
knit to Christ that they began to call him after something he referred to himself. He said, I'm the way. And they said, oh, they're of the way. They're a follower of Jesus Christ. May we be so tightly knit to Christ. But look what happens here. And I really like this. This is a great application for us as a church. That when they would not receive them in the synagogue, he and the disciples went away and they went and they started meeting where? Where? What does it say? In a school. I like that. That's good. So they, they couldn't meet in the synagogue. They couldn't meet in a church building. So they went down to the school of Tyrannus, who was a philosopher. And in those days, the Jews, because the heat was in the middle of the day, they would work from 7 in the morning until 11. Then they'd work from 4 till 9 or 10 at night. And from 11 to, to, to 4, they would take time off because it was the heat of the day. And so Paul's making tents all morning, and then he's spending from 11 to 4 every day at this school just preaching Jesus. And then he goes back and makes some more tents. I like this guy. Put him on my staff right now. I like this guy. He just saw, he just like, okay, well, they won't hear us in the synagogue. Let's go find a place to meet. Hey, the school's empty from 11 to 4. Let's go down there. Hey, the seven-day Adventists don't use the school on Sunday. Let's go over there. And so that's what Paul did. And he went from speaking once a week on the, in, the, in the synagogue to speaking every single day, empowered by the Spirit doesn't give up in the face of adversity or opposition. Instead, he says, okay, Lord, we're not supposed to meet here. Where do you want us to go? Down to the school? Okay. So everybody thought Calvary Chapel started meeting in gymnasiums, but look at this. All the way back in the time of Paul, he's meeting in a school hall. Verse 10. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. I love this. More than likely, he never left Ephesus. But he stayed there for two years and just taught them the word every single day. And look what happens. What was the end result? All of Asia heard the word. How did that happen? He taught the word to the people. They fell so in love with the Lord and were filled with the Spirit of the living God, they couldn't help but be contagious. Healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. Amen? When people are fed the word on a consistent basis, their faith grows, they become stronger in Him, the Holy Spirit is upon them, and they go out and they start reaching the world around them. So Paul's sitting in a hall teaching every day, and because of his obedience and the obedience of the people hearing the word, all of Asia heard the word. Man, that's awesome. In two years, all of Asia heard the word. And they didn't have airplanes, and they didn't have radio stations, they didn't have TV programs, they didn't even have flyers to hand out, right? What did they do? This was one-on-one contact. This is going around and individuals telling people, what's the Great Commission? Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. And it was happening here, empowered by the Spirit. So we see in need of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. Now watch this. We're going to see imitators of the Spirit. And understand this. Whenever God does something great, there's always somebody there who's going to try to imitate it for their own personal gain. Turn on TV sometime. Sad. Guys making millions of dollars pretending to be something that they're not often. Not everybody on TV is a charlatan. Some of them really love the Lord, but there are some that are on there that, I mean, you watch them on TV and you're like, dude, this is wrong. Have you ever seen that before? And you go, oh, man, oh, you're killing me. I Lord is showing mercy, not striking this guy, right? You send your tithe, your love offering, you send it to me, of course, put it in my name, and I'll, you know, I'll put my sweat on something and send it to you, and you'll be able... Well, where do they get that kind of... Well, look right here. Look at this. 
It says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even his handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and evil spirits went from them. So God does these incredible, incredible miracles by the hands of Paul. Why? To confirm Paul's message. You have to understand, they didn't have the New Testament yet, right? Paul's going to be the one God's going to use to write most of it. And so God did great miracles to affirm the message, to prove that the message that Paul was speaking was true. Now, was there something special about Paul's sweat, do you think? Put it in a bottle and just shake it on people? No. But people would, those who couldn't come to Paul, they would take something from him and take it to them, and the people would touch it and believe that they could be healed, and they would be healed. Now, you know what this reminds me of? Do you remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood? Remember that story? And she had been sick for 12 years. She'd gone to every doctor and she was bankrupt. Do you remember that? And do you remember that if somebody had a flow of blood, if they touched someone, they would defile them? And so she, she couldn't touch anybody. She was supposed to, she couldn't go into the temple. She couldn't do anything. Now Jesus came walking by. Do you remember what happened? On her hands and knees, she crawled out. And what did she say? If I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I know that I'll be healed. And when he went by, she reached out and just touched the hem of his garment. And what happened? She was healed. Do you think it was the hem of his garment that healed her? Although with Jesus, he can do anything. He's God, right? But the reality is, it was faith that she believed. You know what? God can heal me. You know what I equate this to today? It's like when we anoint people with oil today. The Bible says there's any sick among you, call for the elders to lay hands on them and pray for them and anoint their heads with oil. Now, does the oil heal people? No. The oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit, but the oil is something that we do in obedience to God's command, and it's an act of faith to say, Lord, we believe that you can heal us if you choose to. You're God. You can do it. We believe you. That's what's happening here. So he's taking these things, and people are touching them, and they're being healed because they believe in the God that Paul is preaching of. I believe that the God of Paul can heal me, and I, I'm going to, yeah, I believe. And because of that, many of them were healed. But now watch what happens. Here comes the guys who think, oh, this is, this is sweet. Here's an opportunity for me, okay? The power came from God, not from Paul, you'll notice here in the text. But watch these guys, verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now these guys were itinerant Jewish exorcists. How do you get that job? Right? These guys went around and their job was to find demon-possessed people and to try to deliver them from the demons that were in them. Now here's what's interesting to me is no doubt there were a lot of people like that in Ephesus. Why? Because they were idol worshipers. You open yourself up to that kind of stuff and you're going to see a lot of what we see here, demon-possessed people. Now it's interesting that these guys, were they really doing this because they wanted to see people delivered? The answer is no. They were doing this because they wanted to make a buck. And they saw, man, that Paul guy, he's delivering people left and right. And, you know, we're, we're not having a whole lot of success. So, you know what? We just need to call on the God that he calls on and use his name. And then, then we, can, we can benefit from it. We can profit from it. Now, understand that these guys are imitators of the truth. And they don't really know God. Where God is doing great things, there will always be those who try to imitate it for their own fame or financial gain. Verse 14, also there were seven sons of Sheba, a Jewish chief priest who did so. So there was a Jewish chief priest whose seven sons were out doing this, along with these itinerant Jewish uh, 
exorcists that were going around and using the Lord's name but didn't know him. Again, there's a lot of that going on in the world today. People say things in Jesus' name and they don't know Jesus. Now watch what happens. This is pretty awesome. I, I have to confess, I almost think it's kind of funny. Look at verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Can you imagine you go up to a demon-possessed guy and all of a sudden you're going, in the name of the Jesus, of Paul, the Jesus that Paul preaches, come out of there. And the, the evil spirit says, dude, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the heck are you, man? I got no idea who you are. Now, why do the evil spirits know Jesus? Why? He's God, right? But guess what? He created them, didn't he? Weren't those evil spirits originally, what were they? They were angels. And they were there and they chose to deny God and fall away from him. And they knew who Jesus was. And it's interesting to me that the evil spirits knew Paul. You know what that tells me? That Satan knows every one of those of us who've given our lives to Jesus Christ. Amen? Why? Because he sees the Holy Spirit within us. And he knows that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And he knows that we are heaven bound. And he knows we've been born again. And he sees it. And he knows it. Amen? And so these evil spirits look and go, Paul we know, Jesus we know, I got no idea who you are. Now watch what happens. When you try to do things in the flesh, not filled with the Holy Spirit, not led by God, in the city of occult and idol worship, with these many demon-possessed people, watch what happens. Verse 16. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so they fled uh, out of the house naked and wounded. So how did that work out? You go and try to do things in the flesh without the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, and guess what? You're going to get whooped every time. I was down in Southern California not too long, well, it's been about 10 years ago, and there was this elderly pastor. He was in his 90s. And he got up to speak on the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, and I loved it, and he said, I'd, I'd rather walk through a dynamite factory with blowtorches than attempt to, to, to live without the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'd rather be chained to the floor in front of a steamroller driven by a blind man than to try to you know, live life outside of the power. And here's the reality. These guys were trying to do it without the Holy Spirit. Without Him, we can do what? Nothing. And these guys went, and guess what? Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And, if you, and these guys were going against an enemy that was much greater than them apart from Christ, and they found out real quick. They ended up naked and wounded. Seven guys at least, maybe more, and this one demon-possessed guy just tore them up. We need Jesus, amen? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. How are we going to overcome temptation and the things of this world? Satan seeks to destroy you. Jesus loves you so much. He left the throne of heaven and came to earth and died that you might have eternal life. Look at verse 17. This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. They said, hey, dude, I, I'm not doing that. What happened? You guys are running naked through the street. The first streakers, right? They're running through the street. And they say, oh, man, we, oh, what happened to them? Yeah, they tried to use... They try to cast out demons and talk. Oh, and that, look, they got tore up. Now look what happens though. I love this. And the name of the Lord Jesus was what? Magnified. Satan whoops up on people and the gospel spreads anyway. I love that. God is greater than him. 
God is so awesome, and He can use even this for His glory. And so what happens is, these guys try and go to do things in their own power, and they get torn up, but God is still glorified. His fear fell on all men as they realized that without the Lord, they could do nothing. And that there was something special about this God that Paul preached. Let's move on. Now looking at believers' response to the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. And many who had believed came confessing, telling their deeds. Why did they do that? People who believed saw these guys getting whooped up by Satan. They're running through the streets. They're wounded and they're naked. And they say, whoa. And look what happens. It brings them to a place of confession. Look at verse 19. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. What happened to these guys? They realized, you know what? I've been holding on to stuff. Even though I've given my life to the Lord, I've been holding on to this stuff, and now I realize if I hold on to stuff of the world, it's only going to bring me harm. I need to let go of this stuff. And when they see the power of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they repent of their sin, and they go and grab the stuff from their fleshly life, and they bring it all out, and they put it in a pile, and they light a match to it. They brought out magic books, 50,000 pieces. You know how much money this is? This is enough money that you could hire 150 guys to work for you for an entire year. But they were convicted as they saw, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as they saw what would happen if they continued to hold on to the world. I want you to notice something. When they were convicted, they didn't have a garage sale. Right? I got all these really vile movies in my house. When I, I think I'll have a garage sale. No, they didn't do that. Don't give this stuff. If it's sinful, why are you giving it to someone else? Right? I remember a guy told me, yeah, I got saved, so I took all my pot over to my friend's house and sold it to him. I'm like... I appreciate the heart, but I don't think that's the right idea, amen? Dude, flush it down the toilet or something, man. But the thing is, you know, I, yeah, I, you know, I did something similar. I got convicted about the music I was listening to, and I took all my albums over to my friend's house. I should have taken them out into a dumpster. And so what happens here is these guys get convicted, and they, they take all the stuff, and they put it in the center, and they light it on fire. They don't sell it. They don't have a garage sale. They say, we've got to get rid of this stuff. It's bad news. And they burned up the things that were distracting them. And the word, Now look what it says here in verse 20. So the word of the Lord, what? Grew mightily and prevailed. When did it grow? When they were convicted about the stuff of the flesh they were hanging on to. And they said, this stuff's got to go. Get it out of my house. I'm getting rid of this stuff. Lord, you know what, Lord, I can't listen to this music anymore. I'm getting it out of my house. Lord, I can't watch these kind of TV programs anymore. I'm going to... I'm going to unhook those certain channels. Lord, I, I can't be, you know, I'm going to empty my liquor cabinet. Whatever the conviction might be that God places upon your heart and you move that stuff out of your house, guess what happens? The Word of God grows in your life. You know what dulls us spiritually? When we feed ourselves fleshly, physically, amen? When we feed ourselves in the flesh and physically, it dulls us spiritually and we cannot hear clearly from God. And so we see here that these guys are convicted because of the Holy Spirit moving on their lives. Verse 21. Now we're going to move from there and we're going to look at rejection of the Spirit. All right? Now they're going to reject the Spirit. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in his spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after this, I, after I have been there, I must also go to Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered with him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So he had a desire to go, but God wouldn't let him yet. It wasn't God's time. We're going to see why in just a minute. And he sends two brothers off to Macedonia. He has a purpose in his heart 
to go to Rome. Now, he doesn't want to go to Rome to go sightseeing. He's purposing in his heart to go to Rome because he's got a burden in his heart to share Jesus with those people. All right? Now, watch what happens here, beginning in verse 23. And about the same time arose a great commotion about what? The way. About the Christian church. The greater the revival, the more it stirs up the enemy. Whenever there's fruitfulness, persecution's not going to be far behind. All who dwelt in Asia had heard the word. And you know what? There's a big temple to the goddess Diana in the center of town. And there's some people starting to get a little upset that people are worshiping the Lord instead of worshiping Diana, and they start to see it as a potential uh, loss of income. We're going to see that here in just a minute. And these, this bonfire probably got some people's attention too. You start piling up a bunch of magic books and you know, shrines and things, and bring a you know, blowtorch out and start throwing it in. Like, what are they doing? They're burning them up. What is going on with these guys? Oh, they're of the way. They're Christians. They've given their life to Jesus Christ. They don't need our, our idol worship anymore. They don't need those books of magic anymore. They don't need the occult anymore. They've given their lives to the Lord. Well, guess what? Whenever that happens, people are going to get upset. And notice, again, when God is moving in a mighty way, when Satan cannot deceive, he will seek to destroy. If he cannot deceive somebody, he'll seek to destroy him. Look at verses 24 through 27. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, bought, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of a similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you also see and hear not only at Ephesus, but throughout all of Asia, this Paul was persuaded and turned many people, saying that there are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrespute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Demetrius was stirred up. Why? He was a silversmith. You know what the guy did for a living? He made gods. What do you do for a living? I make gods. That's what I do. You want a medium god, small god, large god? I met custom-made gods. Here's my card. You know, come by and see me. I'll give you a, hook you up with a god. Well, that's what they're doing. And he's making gods. This reminds me when I was in India. It was during the, the high holy days in India. And the goddess Lakshmi, and you could buy a small Lakshmi, a medium Lakshmi, or a large Lakshmi. And then, you know, and they had a little shrine. And it breaks your heart. He's the seven-armed goddess of, of prosperity. And people are living in the street and, have no, and they're, they're starving to death and they're worshiping the goddess of prosperity. It breaks your heart. And that's what's happening here. And this guy says, now wait a minute. If they start worshiping the Lord and there's no more idol worship, I'm out of business. And so he called all the people the same occupation, all the silversmiths together and said, guys, we've got to unionize here. We've got to figure something out because they're starting to worship the Lord. And if we don't put a stop to it, we're going to lose our gig. We're not going to make money anymore. Now, who is this Diana? She was worshipped as the great mother goddess, goddess of fertility and reproduction. She supposedly caused the earth to blossom. The animals and wildlife were under her control. Boy, she'd do pretty well in Santa Cruz. Her grand temple and one of the seven ancient, was, again, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. They viewed Diana as the most supreme of all goddesses, or all gods. Some of the names they used for her, listen to this. First among the thrones, they called her Savior, Lord, Queen of the World, Heavenly Goddess. Her worship was so widespread it had reached all of the Roman Empire. 
And these silver shrines that these guys were making was huge business, and they would make these shrines that people would take into their houses and put into their homes, and then they would worship them there. And so they're concerned that they may lose their gig. So he says to them, we're going to lose our trade. Look at verse 27. And falling into disrepute, and the temple will fall apart, and people will stop worshiping. So he says, we're going to be in financial ruin. The people won't be zealous for that God anymore. Our city will lose its prestige. Man, we're going to be in huge trouble. We've got to do something about this. I want you to notice something, though. Does it say anything about Paul speaking against Diana? No. You know why? He just preaches the gospel and people stop worshiping Diana. You know, there was a, a revival in the early 1900s called the Great Welsh Revival. Anybody heard of that? Do you know that in a small amount of time that so many people got saved in Wales that every pub and every tavern closed? They never picketed a pub. They never picketed a tavern. They never told... They just shared Jesus with people and everybody got saved. And when everybody got saved, everybody quit drinking and all the taverns went out of business. They didn't have to go down and say, you know, to picket. And he wasn't picketing that God is Diana. He was just preaching Jesus. People were getting saved. So we don't need, you know, we don't need a God you can make out of hands anymore. We serve the creator of the universe. And so we see here they're getting whipped up because they're concerned. Man, we're going to lose our gig. Verse 28. It says there, now when they had heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Have you ever noticed when someone's wrong, they just scream real loud? And do you know that it doesn't matter how loud you scream and how long you scream it, it doesn't make it any more true? I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. Step off the building. Right? Game over. It doesn't matter how long you you yell it. It doesn't how many times you say it. The truth is the truth whether you believe it or not. And they're saying, great is the goddess Diana. They're trying to convince themselves. Right? Great is the goddess of Diana. Great. She's great. Yeah. And they're all getting whipped up and they get in this big frenzy and they start, you know, cheering each other on. Well, guess what? Look at verse 29. So the whole city was filled with what? Confusion. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit is not the author of what? Confusion. But those who follow false gods are confused all the time. Walking around, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what life's all about. You know, can I tell you something? I know what life's all about. You want the answer to the meaning of life? It's one word. Jesus. Amen? What's the meaning of life? It's Jesus. What's life all about? Jesus. What's happening? Jesus. What's up? Jesus. What is it? It's Jesus. Amen? And that's the answer. And people are looking for the answer. Well, if I just get buff enough, if I can bench press more, I'll be really happy. If I find the right job, I get a better career. If I could get a really good-looking girlfriend, boyfriend, if I could just... It can happen. It's Jesus Christ. He's the meaning of life. And these guys are great as the goddess Diana. That's it. And they walk around confused. Look what it says there. And they rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and and Articus, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. So they grab these guys and they take them down to the theater. Now the theater was this huge place that would seat up to 24,000 people. It was a place of meeting, but it was also a place where they would throw uh, criminals to wild beasts and they would be torn into pieces. So they grab these guys who are of the way and they drag them down to the theater and they're all whipped up and they're starting to yell and scream, singing, Great is the Goddess Diana, verse 30. And when Paul wanted to go to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Ever wonder if Christians should go, into, go to movies? Well, maybe that's your answer right there. They wouldn't let him go into the theater. But no, here's the thing. He wanted to go, and I love Paul because there's thousands of people all whipped up. Great is the goddess Diana! Great is the goddess Diana! Right? And they're screaming, and what does Paul say? Oh, witnessing opportunity. 
right? Here this guy is, oh, there's how many? Thousands? Oh, that sounds good. Let's go down there. Paul, you've got to love this guy, filled with the Holy Spirit. He's like opportunity for the gospel. He's not afraid. There's no fear for those in Christ Jesus, amen? He's ready to go down there. Now, by God's grace, he might have got thrown to the beast. So God, the, the people around him go, Paul, you know, you can't go, man. Dude, just slow down, relax, come back here. Maybe another day, okay? And then the high officials say, Paul, it's not a good idea. Don't go down there. I don't think it's a good idea. Verse 32. So some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. So all these people are there, and they're screaming. they got no idea where they're there. Does that sound like what most rioting crowds are like? People are throwing bricks through windows. Why are we doing this? Oh, this is fun. I, why we, I got no idea. Right? Isn't that what happens? You see picketers all over the place. There's people that are professional picketers, right? They go on, all right, where, there's a protest. Where is it? Okay, great. They get down there, walk around for an hour. What, now, what's this about? I just, you know, I want to protest everything. Well, that's what these guys are doing. They're rioting, and it says they have no idea what they're rioting about. They're just confused. What are we doing here? I don't know. But maybe someone's going to get thrown to a beast. Oh, right? And they're just yelling and screaming and they're out of control. Again, the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. And these guys were feeding on the frenzy. We're almost done here. Now take a look. Look what it says here in verse 32. They gathered together for the assembly was confused and most did not know why they'd gathered together. And then they drew Alexander out of the multitude. The Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. Now, Alexander was a Jew, and they automatically lumped the Christians in with the Jews very often. They viewed Christianity as like a sect of Judaism. And so they grab Alexander, one of the foremost Jews, and they put him forward, and he doesn't get to speak, and we don't know what he was going to say, but I have an idea he was going to say, I don't know this Paul guy. I got nothing to do with him, Right? And as soon as they found out he was a Jew, look what happens. But when they, verse 34, when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Two hours. Again, at the top of your voice, screaming at the top of your lungs, it still doesn't make it true. But they're just, I think they're trying to convince themselves, Great is the goddess Diana. And they're just screaming at the top of their lungs. They're rejecting the Spirit. They're not receiving, again, the Holy Spirit reaching out to them. And their prejudice comes into play as they just begin to scream at the top of their lungs. Now lastly, we're going to look at divine protection for those who walk in the Spirit. Look at verse 35. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is a temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and the image which fell down from Zeus? By the way, you know how they made Diana? There was something that fell from the sky, like a rock that fell from the sky, and they said it came from God, and it was this funky-looking thing. And so they shaped these idols after it, and that became Diana. They're worshiping a rock. Unbelievable. Now, therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you've been brought these men here who are neither robbers or, or of the temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are pro-councils, let them bring charges against one another. So these guys hadn't done anything wrong from his perspective, yet he feeds them, a lot. He feeds them and encourages them with a the lie. He says, hey, we all know nobody can touch the goddess Diana. She, hey, these guys, these are God, nobody's going to stop her. She's the great and awesome goddess that fell down from Zeus. You know, there's a picture of where the temple of Diana used to be in one of my commentaries. Guess what's there now? Rubble. Guess what? The goddess Diana, it 
it's gone, right? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. All other gods that men serve crumble. All other gods die. They're not real, right? But our God is a risen and a living Savior. And so he's saying they haven't done anything wrong. And if, if they want to, they can bring them before the judges or before the proconsul. But if you have any other inquiry to make, verse 39, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. If we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give account for this disorderly gathering. And when they had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now this guy was the governor of the area. And he called them in and he knew that their rule was, they were ruled by Rome. And what he said was, guys, if we are out of control like this, the Romans might get involved and we're free down here. They leave us alone. We're part of them. We don't have to pay taxes to them. Let's not get the Romans involved. If they want to bring them before a judge, let them bring them before a judge. But guys, we're out of control. And what's awesome to me about this is God uses an ungodly man to protect his own people. We are indestructible until God is through with us. Amen? Nothing can happen to you unless God says so. And these guys are standing there thinking, oh, there's thousands of them. They might be ready to throw me to some wild beasts. And God steps in and says, I'm not done with you yet. And he turns the crowd around, using a man who's not even a believer. So in closing, I want to ask you a question. As we've looked at man's relationship to the Holy Spirit, I want you to think about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Do you have an incomplete gospel? Have you heard about Jesus Christ and maybe you've been going to church for a while, but you've never truly given your life to Him? You've never confessed you're a sinner in need of a Savior? You've never truly been born again? Maybe you're like those who are imitators of the Spirit, pretending to be something that you're not. You go to church to please a family member. You come because, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. But you really have never given your life to the Lord. Maybe you're like those who are empowered by the Spirit. And you say, you know, Lord, I, I love you, and I want to put you first in my life. And maybe you're like those, who, like those who needed to respond to the Spirit, who realize, you know, Lord, I love you, and I put you first, but Lord, there's things in my life that have got to go. Lord, I've got to get rid of them. Lord, I need to put you first. I need to put you above all else. Holy Spirit can have one of three relationships and does with every one of us in this room. It's going to take a couple more minutes, okay? He's either with you, or He's in you, or He's upon you. If you're here this morning, and you don't know Christ, He's with you. But His Holy Spirit is calling you to salvation. He de desired, the Bible says that His desire that none should perish, no, not one. Salvation is offered universally, but can only be accepted individually. He loves you so very much, He'd rather die than live without you. How valuable are you to God? This is how valuable you are. That He sent His Son to die, that you might have eternal life. But you know what? If He's with you, you don't have to leave here without Him being in you. You just say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I, I, Lord, I know that I need you. Lord, I've been an imitator in the past. Or, you know, Lord, I, I've known about you, but I've had an incomplete, and I've never really had the Holy Spirit come and live inside of me. Lord, I'm not sure that I'm saved. You don't have to leave here without Him. Maybe you're here today, and you've been born again, but there's not a whole lot of power in your walk. You're struggling in your walk. Some days you're doing okay with your faith, and in other days you're really kind of blowing it. You struggle back and forth. You're on that Christian roller coaster ride, and, and you just say, man, Lord, I don't want to just have, give you some of my life anymore. Lord, I want you to be first. I don't want you just in me. I want you upon me. Lord, I want you to be flowing out of me and touching everyone around me. Lord, I want to be like these guys were, that your Holy Spirit is powerfully working through me. You know what? The Bible says that if you will ask the Lord 
to baptize you with the Spirit or fill you with the Spirit or pour out the Spirit upon you. You call it whatever you want. I don't care what you call it. Just get it. Amen? Call it whatever you want. All right? But the Holy Spirit upon you. And when the Holy Spirit's upon somebody, do you know it? Is it obvious? You don't have to say, I wonder if the Holy Spirit's upon that guy. You don't have to wonder. It's obvious. My heart is that every one of us will leave this place today closer to God than the way that we came, with a greater understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit that God wants to work through us. In me dwelleth no good thing, but if we will let him. If we, but John the Baptist, Jesus said, of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. None. And what did John the Baptist say? I must decrease that he might increase. Jesus said he's the greatest guy that ever lived apart from his, and, but he said, you know what, got to be less of me and more of him. That's what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's less of us and there's more of him. Amen? And so here's what I want to do. Everybody, let's bow our heads and let's pray. And Lord, I, I just come before you this morning and I pray for those who may be here this morning who don't know you. Father, maybe they've been imitators of your spirit. Maybe they've been those who pretended to know you. Maybe they've been those who've never really heard the full gospel before. Lord, I pray for them, Lord, that you would just soften their hearts and open their eyes to their need for you. And Lord, they would respond, Father God, to the call you've placed on their lives today, Lord, which is to, re to reach out and accept that forgiveness. Lord, we thank you that it's by your shed blood we're saved, not by any good works we do, but by the finished work that Christ did on the cross. Lord, I just pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that they would realize they're sinners and they'd be willing to confess their sin and ask you to be their Savior. And then, Lord, I also pray for those here who know you. But, Father God, their walk with you hasn't been what it should be. Lord, I include myself in that at times. Lord, that there's times when we can get our eyes off of you and we can be consumed by the world. And, Father, I pray for those who have never been baptized with the Spirit or, Lord, need a fresh infilling of your Spirit, that, Lord, that today they would just say, Lord, I want to give you all of me. Lord, I want you to flow out of me and touch the world around me. So first, if you're here this morning, and if you know the Lord, just be praying for those who don't. If you're here this morning, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, it's real simple. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. And all you're saying is, I know I'm a sinner, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, and I want him to be my Savior. If that's you this morning, I'm going to pray a real simple prayer with you. I just want you to raise your hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ, and I want to know for sure that when I leave here, that his Holy Spirit is in me. Is there anybody here at all? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? Let's all pray together with these several that have raised their hands. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sin. I ask that your Holy Spirit would come to live inside of me. That you would make me a new creation. Help me, Lord, to walk with you. Lord, I thank you for forgiving me. I believe that by your shed blood, I've been forgiven. That I'm a new creation. And that you live inside of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of you who are here, and the Holy Spirit is in you, and you've been born again, but your desire is that you would have the Holy Spirit upon you in a more powerful way, I'm just going to ask you guys to stand up, and I want to pray for you. <coughs> Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your word that it says that we come before you, and Lord, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us.
that, Lord, that you, you will be faithful to pour out your Spirit upon us in a more mighty and a powerful way. Father, we don't want you to pour your Spirit upon us just so we have some emotional event. But, Father, we want more of you, Lord, that we can be more effective for your kingdom. That we can have a greater intimate relationship with you. That, Father, that your Holy Spirit would not just be in us, but it would flow out of us and touch those around us. Father, we so desire to see revival here in Santa Cruz County, but, Lord, may it start in each one of us first. Lord, may your Holy Spirit upon us cause us to use the gifts you've given us in a greater way. Father, may it cause us to have a greater boldness to share our faith with those around us who don't know you. May it cause us to be salt and light to a lost and dying world. Lord, may we not be ashamed of you, but may we, Father God, just love you so much that we don't care who knows. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would empower us by your Spirit, that we can have boldness. Lord, that we can look at the world with eternal eyes. Lord, that we can see things through eternity, Father God. And Lord, that we can love people the way you love them. So, Father, I thank you and I praise you for everyone who's standing. Just pour out your Spirit upon them in a mighty and a powerful way. May they leave this place closer to you than they've ever been before with a greater passion for you, a greater desire for your Word, a greater desire to pray and spend time in your presence, a deeper commitment to worship. Lord, we ask all these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And we just thank you, Lord, for the work you've done here this morning. You're such a great and awesome God, and we do this for one reason, to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. let's worship. <laughs>